G'day and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest. My name is Conrad and you may already know the devastating news that my best friend and podcast co-host Cam Ferry died. Uh, So I want to thank everybody for their support. I still have a fair few episodes I recorded with Cam that I haven't released yet. I'm honored to be able to share with you more of the great conversations that Cam and I had. Enjoy these episodes in memory of my best mate, Cam. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the podcast where we find challenging ideas and rather than debate them and yell at people, we sit with them and see what happens. Mm. Uh, My name's Conrad. I'm Cam. Uh, Now, Cam, uh, as a joke on the show. We frequently talk about this show as being a show that you don't really want to listen to. Yeah, no one's really into it. We're not going to make you rich. We're not going to give you business secrets. We're not yeah. going to make you fit in 30 days. Yeah, um, or give you a bikini body. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Um, so, you know, it's it's something we're not necessarily that entertaining to listen to. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it's probably a little bit uncomfortable to listen to. It's, it's a hard listen. Because listening to people you might disagree with or challenging ideas, it's uncomfortable. It hurts your head. Yeah. But but let, let me just pump your tires a little bit, Kev. <laughs> maybe just my own my own tires. I've been talking to uh, a few of our listeners of the show. Yep. True friends of the show. Friends of the show. And they've, they've agreed with this sentiment that we've expressed saying that we didn't exactly want to listen to the show initially okay. when it was recommended to them. All right. But then... So it's uh, like pump the tires, like you deflate the tire. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then patch <laughs> and then the hole. Patch the hole and pump it up again. <laughs> and, and so they initially didn't want to listen to it. They're like, oh, I don't know about this. You know, it's a bit con- like oh, controversial ideas. I'm not... Yeah. It's a bit... Not really into it. But then I guess our other friends of the show pestered them a little and they started listening. Yeah. And now it turns out that we're their favorite podcast. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Favorite this, podcast. This is a... I'll not, take that. This is not just an isolated incident. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, okay. Because what they were saying is that like they become a bit addicted to the expansion and growth that comes from like right. deepening a yeah, new idea. Yeah. Even if they their opinion doesn't necessarily change. Yeah. The depth that your current idea might even gain by yes. listening to another yeah. worldview. Yeah, it's like this is it's still my position, but I have I've come to it because I understand it yeah. better. Yeah. And the understanding of the humanity of yeah. somebody else that you've been introduced to. So that makes sense. So a bit of a bit of a tire pump there. Yeah. So yeah. I'll challenge any friend of the show that's listening now. If you've joined us live on Instagram, you can be part of the show. And if you've joined us live on Instagram at nine AM on a Saturday morning, yeah. you're a true friend of the you show. You are a friend of the show. <laughs> uh, then I challenge you to to recommend this show to somebody else who you think won't want to listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> because with a bit of pester power. They might become another true friend of the show as we yeah. as we expand our friends, our friend group, and diversity of friendship. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. Um. So so with that being said, let's let's get into it today. Yeah. Uh, we are joined by a friend of the show. Yeah. And returning guest. Return guest. Yeah. Due to popular demand. Yeah. Uh, friend, our other friends of the show have said, "Get back, Brad 
Jerzak. So, Jerzak. Brad, thanks for joining us again thanks on Ideas Digest. Yeah. yeah, it's good to be back with my favorite elf and his sidekick. I'm, I think that's why people <laughs> watch it is they think you're Legolas or something. And <laughs> Man, I'll take that. Legolas is cool as. Um, but he's a bit taller than me. Yeah. I, won't, I won't stand up. Yeah. <laughs> um, last time we had you on the show, we... Um, Learned a little bit about you. So just to recap for people just joining us now, new friends of the show, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, I grew up evangelical. I was a pastor and church planter for 20 years. Uh, got into small C, fairly healthy, charismatic gig. Um, but I had a crash through a series of great tragedies in our church that left me wondering if I could trust God. And that's when I went and hid in my studies and got a PhD in theology that really focused a lot on like how we know and can we trust God and what do we do with suffering and pain and so on. And by the time I was done, I, I began a teaching career. And now I'm the Dean of Theology and Culture at St. Stephen's University in New Brunswick, Canada. Um, and in fact, your listeners might be interested. Uh, we run a one-year certificate in peace studies at the Institute mm. of Religion, Peace and Justice, and they can do that online, then all of that, Ooh. that certificate transfers into my program where they can get an MA and all they have to do to supplement the one year online program is come visit me twice for two weeks and then do a thesis. And they've got a, a serious university MA. So wow. um, that may be of interest to some people. I know, in fact, there are some folks from Australia and New Zealand that have entered IRPJ.org and they've started their peace studies. So uh, I would be one of the teachers. So if they like what they're hearing in any way cool. today, uh, yes, they could study yeah. and travel with me, whatever, you know. If yeah. you want to go deeper with anything you're hearing, yeah. you could get an MA. Yeah, Brad's your boy. I might need, sure. I might need one of those attached <laughs> to my name. Uh and last time we had you on the show, we, we, we customarily introduced you to the people by making some fast and loose assumptions about you by, because we you know, didn't really know you, so we made some assumptions. We put them to you. You confirmed and denied some of them. Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel like we know you a little bit too well now. Yeah, we, we can't, can't assume as much. We can't <laughs> judge you as harshly. Yeah. So I'll outsource our job to you for this, for this beginning section yeah. and make you do the hard work. What are some assumptions that you might encounter right now about what you're doing, where you're at? What, what do you find people might assume about you now or think about you? Oh, good question. Um, one of the assumptions is just that I'm, that I'm a progressive ideologically because I don't believe in eternal conscious torment in a lake of fire and that I'm affirming of LGBTQ people. And um, and so then they may think that well okay he's a he's an evangelical he's a progressive and no it's it's just that I try to follow Jesus and my experience with both conservatives and progressives is they're so into the us them thing um, that we're better <laughs> off transcending that spectrum altogether. So I am um, I work for a university that w where I guess it's a progressive university and I fit in perfectly there, but it's. I fit in not because I'm a neo-Marxist or somebody on the far left, but because <laughs> I think Christ yeah. is into love and and radical forgiveness and absolute inclusion and and that that's actually uh, deeply orthodox in the ancient sense. And so um, it's weird because I'm 
in that sense, I have a very conservative impulse that led me to go back to the early church, to the first Christians wow. and what they believed. And, um, and because of that, I'm able to play nicely with these guys, <laughs> um, <laughs> usually, unless I go off their script. Um, so, yeah. and that's the weird thing is that the assumption then is I'm always going to be on a progressive stri script and, I, and I'm just simply not. And so it's fun that wow. way because then it, it, uh, it makes people pause, right? And, and say, well, what do you mean? What do you? And, and it's like, I like that instead of just living according to their assumptions. Sure. That so is an interesting assumption. Yeah. You said it, uh, earlier on that some of your answers might have changed. Do you have any that are on top of mind that you'd like to share, like some of your answers from, from before? Well, I don't remember all the I questions, but I do remember, like, you know, am I, um, am I a Christian? Um, yeah, this week I am. So, okay. Oh, cool. nice. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's a maybe. We'll every time we have Brad on, we'll be like, "So you're a Christian this week?" Yeah. Like, this yeah. Week, how are you feeling today? This, this week I am. Oh, that's that's good to hear. And and I've already heard you mention almost something very uh, close to the clickbait idea that that we're talking about today. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll clickbait it, and then we've got to throw to Brad to kind of explain it because this Board one, part, yeah. get your trigger pants ready. Yeah. Because. Uh, this is an interesting one. Here yeah. we go. Logic has its limits. Yes. Now, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> because absolutely everybody... That's illogical. That's it. <laughs> Don't be irrational. Yeah. And if you're irrational, that's bad. Yeah. There's only two options. Yeah. And you want to be the logical option. Right. You want to yeah. be in that camp. Yeah. So yeah. I'm feeling like both Christians and atheists... And just anyone, absolutely yeah. everybody I talk to, no matter what I'm debating, yeah. will say, bro, it's just logical. Yeah. Be logical. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I am being logical. <laughs> you be logical. Yeah. You just got to think rationally about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Well, good Lord. <laughs> the, the they, platitude argument. They've clearly <laughs> never been in love or lost a loved one. I mean, that's just stupid. What? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so pull it apart for us. Um, dive into so it. So take us, it, Brad. take it from there, because yeah. logic and reason has always been given as a justification for you're more superior if you're in the logical camp. Yes, but don't be. But the logic and reason has its limits. What else is there? Yeah, take it where you want to go. Yeah. Okay. Um, so before I go today, I want to talk about two things. So help me remember to do that. It's going to be, we'll talk about okay, a hierarchy of knowing that we see in yep. Plato that the Christians adopted. And we also see the difference between confidence and certainty. And I'll use the O.J. Simpson trial to explain that. And that connects with okay. the philosopher Elvin Plantinga. But I'm going to make it, I'm going to do this at a lay person's kind of level and make it super accessible and so here's the idea yeah good that sounds awesome <laughs> that's what we need i said there's like a hierarchy of knowing so in the yeah. hierarchy of knowing in real life we say i know something all the time without rational or empirical proof um sometimes when we say i know something we're just full of it and it's really um so i'm, I'm just gonna walk you up the hierarchy so and this is right out of plato and so in his Republic, so he, the lowest form of knowing is opinion. Opinion, you're going to see that lowest form of knowing in Facebook comments. There it is, okay? That's the lowest form of knowing. And it's really questionable whether it's knowing at all, isn't it, right? 
Um, you move up the hierarchy, though, and, and we begin to say, I know, in a real, normal, natural way, through our senses. We know things with our five senses, and that's what we would call empirical proof that you can test in a laboratory, but you don't need to. You can just say, I know the I, I knew so confidently that this chair I'm sitting on was going to hold me up because I have personally experienced, um, you know, again and again and again, experimenting with it. And, you know, maybe... So personal experience is a little lab test, so to speak. It's like the, you can test it in the lab empirically, but then we're also testing things every time, yeah, you sit in the chair. That's right. Life is a lab, right? Um, yes. And it's a lab okay. where we know things by touching them, tasting them, smelling them, seeing them, and hearing them. And then and that becomes verifiable or falsifiable at some at some point. So I would call that empirical knowledge and it's knowledge that comes to us through the five senses you can then move up the up the ladder another step and that i would call rational knowledge and the reason why we'd say it's up the ladder a step is because you could know it without your five senses so for example with mathematics we knew there were black holes before we ever found one that was through rational knowledge um and learned on a chalkboard of all things right um, or you can have an idea, you can work out something in your mind. You can work out two plus two without putting objects on a table. You can do it in your head. That's rational knowledge. And that's r a real kind of knowing. And it's a, so it, a mental puzzle. So it's more powerful, a more powerful kind of knowing than opinion. Because again, it's, you can verify it or falsify it. But this time you don't even need your five senses. So that's with your mind, you can sort that out. And so... These are so that that's what people are asking to take the level from the Facebook comment. They'll say, "Oh, prove it," and then people will use this rational knowing to say, "Well, because A plus B leads to C, then therefore D is next." Yeah. So and right. So when I say when I say there's limits to that, um, I'm just following Plato up to what he calls the divided line. There is a line at that point on the ladder where. Rational knowledge only takes you for so far, and then in real life, we know, we know that um, there are certain things that you can know you can know without proving it in a lab or a court. So we'll use court for rational knowledge, and we'll use a lab for empir empirical knowledge. So and and these things have to do with real life as well. Like I know grief. I know that my wife loves me. I know, I um, and some of that's experiential, but it's not just experiential. It's heart knowledge, and so we sometimes call that tuition, and that that's a real kind of knowing. Well, you get to um, Immanuel Kant, and he says that's not real knowing. If you can't prove it in a court or a lab, it's just faith. It's like, what do you mean, just faith? It is a higher way of knowing, uh, um, and so, so beauty, and love. And grief and death, our knowledge of those things is real, but it's not rational or empirical. It's it's a uh, um, it it happens from the heart. It's a heart knowing. And so, um, what Plato's saying is that that a heart knowing is a deeper way of knowing, where the rational mind, reason, is neither sufficient nor necessary. So ra the rational mind reason is not sufficient to know the th these higher order things. 
and it's not even necessary to know them. So neither. So, so, so it it has its limitations, but that's okay. That's totally okay. Bring us to uh, examples of like society within this this current construct. So as, as I'm as I'm gathering. The rational knowing is you're in the courtroom and you're saying he murdered this person because we found this, this. And so obviously if this and this is there, then therefore this must be the outcome. And then empirical knowing is in the lab where you go test, test. Can you observe? Look, it's happening. Mm. Now we know because we've observed and watched it and tested it. And now when you bring us to this different level of knowing where rational and empirical knowing isn't necessary where do you see um society placed within that like is is anything outside like does society right now operate only within the rational and the empirical way of knowing like if you say to someone oh it's a different way of knowing would they then categorize that way of knowing as irrational yeah so so here's the thing it's like i i think what i'm describing is just more simply true to life you know like we're not science, science, and and um, and rationalism. It's just that's that. When I say I know something, that's just it's such a limited, a limited strip of the things we know yeah. and experience in in reality. And so, you just think about someone who, if they actually tried um, to live just out of reason, well. They're not going to be kissing a girl anytime soon, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. you can sort of see it with people who um, who are hyper. Let's say they're on the autistic spectrum and they're hyper literalist, and mm. and it cause they're they're unable to function like socially very well. It's I would say that so you even have this stereotype in movies sometimes, right? Where you got the real nerd and. And he just doesn't socialize very well. And it's like, wow, he, he may be a savant with his so-called knowledge and yet engaging. So we have, uh, I suppose, one kind of heart knowledge it would be what we call now emotional intelligence. Well, that that's not lab or court stuff. Emotional intelligence is relational, right? Now, what... Um, what Plato will say is that there's even a hierarchy of that kind of intuitive knowledge uh, above the line that goes even further, and I would call it mystical knowledge, and that is knowing God. And so we had these poor guys trying to do evangelism using apologetics by proving that there's God in a courtroom, you know, and I remember as a teenager really wanting that. I wanted to be certain because my faith was shaky, so I got Josh McDowell's book, evidence that demands a verdict and it was your way of cornering someone into belief in and and frankly it doesn't that's just not it right and so what plato says is um the highest forms we know with a different organ so you might call it the mind you might call it the the heart but he called it the noose n-o-u-s and it was the organ of the soul that perceives things above the line, that perceives God, that perceives beauty, truth, and justice. See, th these are super important then for living in a real world, in a, in, in a real society, that, that reason, reason is not going to help um, Black Lives Matter very much. 
um, that that's a higher order of uh, of work that requires direct engagement with beauty, truth, and justice, and uh, and and it's it's going to require a heart knowledge that's highly relational. And I think where they make where where it almost sounds irrational is when let's say Martin Luther King Jr. his I have a dream speech you listen to it and here's what he's thinking this is sounds utterly irrational that we're going to win through weakness that we're going to overcome through love that we're going to it's all the kingdom of God is counterintuitive in that way it's those who sow peace that are going to inherit the earth you're like what and so um I would say the Beatitudes are all of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Those who hunger and thirst for justice will be filled. Those who are merciful, will, you know, all of that. Um, so now we're talking about what I, I, I said. We use the noose, this organ of the soul that turns towards beauty, truth, and justice, and ultimately to God. So, so um, and, and we might call that noetic knowing or spiritual knowing or... Um, you see it in First Corinthians two, um, that where, where Paul says, you you can't know the mind of God unless you have the Spirit of God. You you're not going to get it from a book. You think that, in fact, even if we give you a book like the Bible, you you can't understand it without a spiritual understanding. If you think you're going to go parse verbs and do Greek grammar and get what the Spirit is saying through this thing, you can just forget it. It is spiritually perceived with your noose. But here's the good news. Everyone has a noose. And in fact, we use it more than we think we do. Every time we get a gut feeling, that could be just irrational or it could be super rational because now you're engaged with your noose in this higher way of knowing. That, um, So that's the hierarchy of knowing. Um, before I get to O.J. Simpson, do you have questions or comments? follow-up yeah so that it actually what you sort of started touching on the end there is like a really good next question is this like a um like a siloed style thinking or is it something that you move through in like if you if you're choosing what breakfast cereal to purchase like you have one style of thinking and then if you're you know reading the bible that might have another type of thinking like is this a siloed style thinking or are we all doing this like slipping in and out of these different thinking processes um, easily or like what what are your thoughts on on that sort of um, idea I think that I think that life life demands that we use different organs of knowing right that we have the full range in us but the problem mm -hmm. is when we when we try to use when when we when we use the wrong organ of knowing for a particular situation and you just try right. to mm -hmm. um, yeah. one of the ways I came to the end of rationality is because I'm super rational I'm I'm in I'm so ana analytical that I was able to analyze my decision-making when I would do pros and cons lists to try to rationally decide things like should I get married <laughs> and I, yeah. I um, <laughs> so what happened was, though, um, I went into hyperdrive in my analysis and I was able to perceive how I subconsciously manipulated my pros and cons list. For example, if I really, in my right. deep desires, wanted to get married, I would just subdivide things in the pros list so it was a longer list now. Yeah. But I could see I was doing <laughs> yeah. it and I'm like, oh, I see the limits oh. of this whole analysis thing and I can't trust that. So, That's right. so you were... You were so analytical, 
you exposed your own irrationality that was hiding behind rationality. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then rather than squash it out and um, kind of rid yourself of this irrationality that is that is often painted as a bad thing, you lent into it and said, well, clearly something in me wants to get married yes. because I've yeah. subdivided this list and yeah. compressed this other list to then give my give myself logical permission. Yes. Um, but that's it seems to be coming from yeah. from somewhere else. Right. And so so that that's really important because if if you're just in denial of what's going on in the back kitchen there, yeah. you, then you're not really engaging it. So I'm like, well if that's happening in my subconscious, I want to engage that as well as I can so that I'm doing so wisely instead of it just running the show without even me knowing it. Yeah. Right. What do you think the uh, the disadvantage is of not oh, like? Do you think everybody has that thing running the show, and you're either aware of it or not? Like, do you think that's just the human experience? Like, you can't avoid but have this subconscious, unconscious drives. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one example of how that can really bite you is is if, let's say. Um, you're trying to do good things, but in the background, it's actually just your ego feeding itself. And it has cravings that are like a black hole. The craver inside is is sending you out to do stuff. And you don't even know that you're serving it enslaved to its passions and demands. So um, my friend Ron Dart, a mentor of mine, he he translates the first beatitude, blessed, the blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are those who've learned to say no to the demands of their ego. Well, if imagine entire cities running where they don't even know the ego's running the show. Entire cities where every single person in the population is just a cavern of cravings and, 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 and they think they're being rational. Um, well, just look, at, just look at the president right now, the United States, and, and, and like, you're like, why, why is he so irrational? <laughs> why? Why isn't anything he do? Me? Well, it, it's because it's something back there is running his show and it's all about egoism and so on. So I, I want to say that I need to s then say, OK, who's what's my ego up to? It's not about f it's not me for, for me to fix him. It's for me to look in the mirror and say, uh, wow, what's what's going on? And so. Um, and I can only I do that best with the Holy Spirit then. Like, I think that's. Um, that's it's the spirit that reveals the deepest things in your spirit and then you can surrender them and be led by him before we unpack that because I kind of want to unpack like your definition of Holy Spirit and being led by it yeah. but just to clarify some ideas of what you're talking about is this uh, kind of characterized by the thing I, I think I've heard of, heard it Cam you probably heard it where yeah. um, we are inherently irrational. Like, let's take marketing, for example. Mm. Uh, I have a friend who does a lot of marketing and I'm learning a lot from him. And he, he's just saying the best marketing campaigns, they, they speak to you on an emotional level. If you can move to the sub-rational level where people don't logically make a decision, but they make it on an emotional level, that's the level on which you make lots of sales, right? Yeah. If you're trying to convince people with logic and reason, it's a harder sell. So is that yeah. the idea that I think... Um, and maybe even a friend of the show, uh, Rody Bajo on, on Instagram there, is like, we're going to do what we're going to do 
driven by this ego or this unconscious. And then we use logic as a storytelling mechanism yeah. to explain to ourselves why we did it. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I'd want to say about that is that in a sense, we're, now we're, we're talking about ego and emotion, not the higher noetic ways of knowing. Here's okay. the problem. Okay. But I'm glad you brought it up because we confuse them all the time, especially my charismatic yes. friends. Right? So my charismatic friends, right. including me, you know, we, we might get a warm, fuzzy feeling that is just our emotions being triggered and then assign that to the Holy Spirit, project it onto the Holy Spirit as a, well, I knew in my spirit. Right. No, you knew in your... Somewhere, <laughs> um, yeah. maybe your underwear. You know, I. But, but it's like, yeah. um, and so so that becomes super important. How do we distinguish then um, emotional impulses from spirit-led knowing? Yeah, talk right. to us about that. Yeah, yeah, dive deeper into that. Pull it apart. Well, it what it has to do with it has to do with a, a very conscious surrender of our will and our lives over to the care of God. And and so what I would what I notice is that spirit led knowledge is directly connected to surrender and ego driven impulses are directly connected to self centeredness, self will. So it's willingness versus willfulness. Um, Surrender versus self-will and and that's like opposites then right and so yeah um and so what does like i mean when you use the word surrender what are you surrendering to well (laughs) well, i mean more like yeah how are you using that word like some people might get the ideas of you know you're 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 at war and then one side says all right you win we're going to do whatever you say now how how are you using that word now like in in a on a human level on a practical level yeah um well a lot of it depends on learning how to hear the voice of god and everyone does everyone hears the voice of god they just don't know it and they can be trained in 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 that and then so basically it's the 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 biblical term that's usually used is yielding we yield to the spirit or we surrender to the spirit or we consent to the spirit and so I'll give you a very practical example. Um, I have a friend who was dying of anorexia, and she just had, um, b- and I taught her to hear uh, the voice of God and to surrender her, to surrender her emotions to God, to surrender her impulses to God, to surrender. But and but that meant she had to listen. And so on on days or weeks, if she wouldn't listen. She'd go into self-will, and then she'd start spiraling down. She spiraled all the way down to 66 pounds, and her digestive system mm. went into hibernation. Mm. She, mm. She, she's just cracked 100 pounds. She's worked her way back up by daily mm. surrender to listening when God says, you need to eat now, and you need to eat fats mm. now that are going to freak you out but you need to if you will yield you will have life and so then we what we realize is self-will spirals you down whatever addictions we have it spirals you down towards death yielding surrender consent to the to the love of god it's not to the control of god that's super important he's not a controller that's why it's such a mess out here but he loves us and if we if we can align ourselves with that love and then surrender yield or consent to what that love calls us into 
if we participate in the life of God, we, it, it leads to life instead of death. And so for me, this is, a, this is life and death stuff at the pastoral level, especially with those who, you know, um, um, well, where it's life and death. Uh, we think we can get away with being selfish. It's like, well, that, that's progressive and it's destructive. And just watch your relationships, first of all, you know. So if, so if everyone, like you said, can hear the voice of God and it's learning to identify it, can you talk to me about when you... What when, does that look like? Like what that looks like and yeah. maybe for you when you learnt to hear it yourself and what that might look like for, for other people. Yeah, um, so it's not as magical as it maybe sounds, but, you know, like, so I even know a, a, a psychiatrist who is not a Christian, but she would call, we, she would call that, that voice, the voice of deep wisdom. I'm like, oh, that's the voice of God. And she's like, ah, I don't believe in God. It's the voice of deep wisdom. I'm like, well, what, what's the content of that voice and how does it come to you? And this is where we're exactly yeah. on the same page. The content at, of that voice is loving care, um, it well the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You know, that that's the that's the content of love that comes through that voice. And the other thing is that it's generally gentle and invitational. It's not compulsive or demanding. It's the still small voice in the midst of all the cacophony of demanding voices. So I would say that we best learn to hear that voice, Christian or not, the voice of God or the voice of deep wisdom, by learning how to still ourselves and then pay attention to the thoughts that are coming that are around love and joy and peace. Um, when, it, when that's it, that's, I'm calling that God, but I would say that practice is the noetic knowing. It's when you retreat into yourself to listen to that voice that you begin to know things. And the cool thing is, pretty quickly you're going to start you're you're going to hear and learn and know things you could not have known rationally this is jeremiah 33 3 call on me and i'll answer you and i will show you great and awesome things that you could not have known yourself and so that's that's pretty cool because in one level i'm like okay starting out i'm hearing love and joy and peace well i know that it's like good we'll yield to that live that way but then all of a sudden you start getting insights that you're like, I wouldn't have come up with that in a million years. Wow. Huh. Hmm. So, so you're, you're talking about, yeah, like, I guess exactly like you said, it's not as, you know, um, like mystical or, or abstract as, as it might sound originally in the sense that it sounds like, we all have thoughts and ideas kind of coming through through our mind or, or through us at, at a given time. And what you're saying, if you know what love is and the fruits of the spirit and what is aligned with that way of thinking, then you identify the voice of God, so to speak, by seeing and identifying, well, this is a thought that leads me to more to more love for that person. This is a thought that is giving more grace to myself in this moment. This is a thought that help, helps me to include and accept this group of people and is, is by when you say surrendering to that is to, is to accept it and, and move in, move towards that way of, of thinking to like, yeah, participate yeah. in it, act on it and watch for the fruit. Um, now sometimes stuff counterfeits it as love. Like again, my impulses, my, my, 
my drive. So it's like, well, this is love. This is love. It's like, well, hang on. If it, um, you know, is, is it invitational or is it Im is it impulsive? Is it demanding or is it um, you? So, but you get the hang of it. And there's um, this saint, Saint Siloan of Athos. In he, he died in the 20th century, and he said, if you want to. If you want to calibrate your discernment, this is what discernment is, right? It's discerning between mm. um, the demands of the ego and the invitations of the spirit. And he said, if you want to calibrate your discernment and get really good at distinguishing the two, when in our cultural culture, people have, they're unable to do that. He said, the way to do it is love is loving your enemies. And I'm like, what? And he said, that's the one thing your ego will never be able to counterfeit. And so let's say um, if, if, if this, like my ego's not going to say, I want you to go repent and, and, and really um, own, your own, own the wrong things you've done and ask that person for, humble yourself. It's like <laughs> humble yourself before your enemy. The ego will never, ever counterfeit that. He does, it doesn't get it. But once you do that, then you get the hang of, oh, I know that voice now. That's the voice that told me to forgive somebody. Yeah. So is this, um, what I'm sort of starting to pick up from you is that like this rationality and this analytical way of, of knowing things um, is almost like a default position for humans to make decisions on. It's sort of like even if we don't label it that way, at some base level, that's how our minds try to make sense of the world. And yeah, what you're yeah. sort of saying is with these <clears throat> other knowings um, is that it's something that we need to learn how to do. Would that be accurate or have I missed something? I, I'm not sure that rationality really is our default mode. Uh, we think it is. Okay. We think it is. But most yeah. people don't it's act the rationally much. It's the default story we tell. What is this reasonable? Yeah. And why am I being unreasonable? And why am I usually It's how we justify our behavior to other people around us. You identify this, this uh, way of knowing and this voice of love as the voice of God. And you said your friend identified it as a deep wisdom and you're matching it up going, yeah, this is the yeah, same thing. We're talking about the same things. Is there a benefit to you or is there a benefit, do you think, from identifying it as the voice of God or it doesn't really matter? I think there, th there could be a couple benefits. Um, one of the problems with self-will is that I'm acting autonomously apart from surrender to, to, to God. So if I think that the voice of deep wisdom is really just me at my most clever, it, it seems to me that, that I'm still functioning in autonomy. And God's willing to do uh, that. He's right. willing the to do that. <laughs> He's willing to be there in disguise. Um, but ultimately, he wants relationship. And so it's funny because yeah. you can develop relationship with the voice of deep wisdom. So it's not like he's waiting mm. for you to convert in order to develop the relationship. He invests in it. Yeah. But it, but there's an advantage. There's an advantage then to going, wait a minute. This is, this is a power greater than myself. And therefore, right. um, I'm going to be able to face problems greater than myself. 
with a friend right. who's relational, responsive, loving, caring, and forgiving. And I'm like, okay. Mm. Um, it's so does that mechanism of identifying it as the voice of God and this thing outside of me, identifying it as that, is is that like decentering the ego itself? Like yeah. if it comes from within, you might be thinking, uh, like even when you're listening to that voice, it might be bolstering that ego voice yeah. that says the ego is still getting fed out of that. Out of that. Yeah. Whereas you're saying if you if you if you structure it in a way that says it's it's from outside and I didn't do it, yeah. then it unlocks a, a perspective and an openness that pre- otherwise can't be unlocked. Wow, you're as smart as you are sexy. That's really amazing. So, um, no, that, I think I that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly right. It's it it decenters the ego. That's really really a g- important insight. I would say that 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 you can also have a mirror error, and that is if you, if you begin to think of it as God, you may start thinking of pursuing God outside yourself, when in fact where you met him was in the deepest levels of you. Right. Oh, so God right. is not so, out there far yeah. away. God is it is yeah. the voice of deep wisdom at your very core. He lives in your noose. Oh, that's that's a very interesting like once again at the top of the show we're saying atheists and Christians might find this challenging because because what you're saying is there can there can be something unhelpful about placing God outside of us. Absolutely. And then also something un, unhelpful in Placing God, I guess, nowhere and being like, it just comes from just me. Yeah. Whereas you're, you're kind of combining the two saying the God is found within and that progresses everything. Kind of, it's, this, it's this interesting mix of yeah. both yeah. that ultimately you're saying helps us develop this voice um it's union isn't it continue to i'm in union yeah right the god out there is a separation idea um and the idea that it's just me is also some kind of but at least it's in me so i i suspect that there are those who who listen to the voice of deep wisdom not knowing it's god who hear him better than christians who think he's out Mm. there behind pluto somewhere it's like we've really got to get it in our minds that he lives Mm. in our hearts and that and he speaks from there and that it is an inseparable union with all people and that's why he's able to speak to those who don't even know him yet because they do know him Mm. (laughs) so right you're saying you're saying that that god is within everybody whereas i guess some christian ideas might be like well when you accept the spirit then the spirit God out there might come in and mm. then you've got the spirit because you've said the right prayer or something. But it sounds like yeah. you're saying that God and that that voice and that uh, draw towards love is within everybody no matter what they call yeah. it. Yeah, Paul is our test case. He, he describes it at least twice when he says that, you know, he was a cold and then and then, you know, he was he was this awful person. But then at some point, it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Where did he reveal him? In me. And then he describes it in 2 Corinthians 4, and he says it's the God of this age, the God, or the, the God of this age had blinded his, you know, his eyes and his mind. And then the, but hearing the gospel through Jesus, it, it took the blinders off, and he beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ. Where? Where? In him. In him. And so it's more like he's already in us, but we're blind to it much of the time. Would you say then that um, God 
doesn't exist outside of our thought. The human. Yeah, of, of, of the human, like our, our mind. Oh, if, good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God is in all places and fills all things, including our minds. And we perceive God with our noose um, as usually as thoughts that come to us from inside. Um, but right. but he's everywhere. It's just the problem. You d- what you don't yeah. want to do is imagine that I've got to go find God up in the air, or I've got to climb. There, this is I'm just quoting Moses now. Don't think that you're going to have to send yeah. someone up to heaven to go get him, or across the sea to go find him. Uh, no, the word of God is very near to you, as close as your mind and your mouth. <laughs> That's what he says. So yeah. something like that. Yeah. And um, so. Already, uh, Moses has this idea of uh, of the nearness of God. All right, we'll dive into confidence and certainty then. To, um, that's sort of your next thing with, with O.J. Simpson. So sure. pull, pull confidence and certainty apart for us. This is kind of a side note, maybe. Maybe what we were just talking about is the most important thing for people to know, that if, if they call on the Lord and still their hearts... And wait for the invitational whisper to love. They're going to be able to hear him inside. And I do this all the time with people who have never met God before or even believe in him. And they're able to hear him from day one in profound ways because that's a gift. It's not, it's it's God's gift to us. So um, um, just another way or an angle to think about the limits of rationality are um, mm-hmm. the difference between certainty and confidence so usually we have said you certainty only comes through empirical or rational knowledge you can only be certain by proving it and you have to prove it or you don't even know it um and then and then i would just say well that's not how we live that's that's not even how we live no one actually does that we and so um instead of thinking about certainty through proof you get confidence by what Plantinga calls sufficient warrant. So warrant are all the things in my life that build up, that amount to knowledge. So that can include empirical proofs. It can include reason for sure, but it also includes the testimony of a friend. If I know somebody so well that I can say, with confidence they would never lie to me they just never lie to me and they tell me something they've seen i believe them and i and that's actually real knowledge so that's first hand testimony how about how about direct experience so i i directly experienced the chair holding me up i didn't you know i didn't do um a laboratory tests on it to see if it can hold the weight today or not because you know I gained weight on during COVID and no I just I have direct knowledge or let's say I'm an eyewitness of something well that's still kind of the five senses so that counts but and so what Plantinga does is he says we've probably got five or six or seven or eight warranting factors not just empirical proof or rational knowledge we've got a whole bunch of warrant and that warrant stacks up into confidence and that confidence is knowledge, even if you can't prove it. So here's O.J. Simpson. In the in the U.S. court, I'm from Canada, but in the U.S. court system, they they have two kinds of trials, and O.J. Simpson went through both of them. First, he went through criminal court, where you have to have certainty. 
In other words, unless the jury can say 100% for sure he did it, they have to declare him not guilty, even though they knew he did it. So if you are only 90% certain, that's insufficient for a guilty plea mm. or a guilty verdict, which is crazy, right? But um, it's, been, it's even crazier when you consider how many are still falsely incarcerated, but whatever. Then he went, so they declared him not guilty. Then he went to civil court, and they have a different burden of proof. It's confidence, sufficient warrant, so that you don't have to have 100% confidence. You just have to carry the burden of proof. So it could be like, we're 70% confident he did it. And in fact, we know he did it. We, we actually know he did it, and we can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But we know, so there's a kind of knowing there, and it's a real knowing. And he was declared, he, he was declared guilty in civil court. So he's not guilty mm. under certainty, but he's guilty under confidence. And in fact, as best we can tell, it was the latter that was actually, that was right. Well, I think, I think that's really how we live. It's really not only how we should live, but it's, it's just, I'm just describing real life. Um, you go through your week mm. and you build up sufficient warrant to be confident in something and then you live that way and, th and living it is what proves it out. And this includes faith in God. You will never prove that God exists and you never need to. But you can know he does as, wa as warrant for that belief stacks up into firm confidence. And so that can include, I know, I know God through direct experience, through mystical knowing, through biblical studies, through testimony of others, through stuff I've seen with my own eyes that I can't explain another way, through reason, through, you know, so it's all, um, it all works together. And, uh, and so I'm just, I, I, I can say, well, I'm, I'm utterly confident that God is love and has revealed himself in Jesus. Uh, and, and, um, and I don't have evidence that demands you believe it. And so I call this faith. But it, faith isn't like wishful thinking for me. Uh, fa faith is, is the same confidence I have in my wife's love. So it, it sounds like you're giving like a validity and importance to the human experience and as humans how we operate. And rather than denying your or our hum as humans inherent irrationality of I want to do this, mm. you notice it, embrace it, and go a step further and say, it's actually, it might be irrational in the technical sense, yeah. but not in the sense of which it's a it lesser way value. of operating. Yeah, yeah it yeah. still has value. And you've kind of integrated that into your human experience saying, well, when I identify this voice as the voice of God, mm. it helps me grow and develop listening to the voice of love, inclusion, acceptance, the fruits of the spirit, which I I'm will make the <laughs> quick assumption that that is a way that you find to benefit you mm. in life as a whole and the way that you want to operate. But also you would say that operating this way is better for society and better for community? Yeah, that's that's the sort of question I wanted to know is do you see, like you talked about this hierarchy of knowing, is it a hierarchy as we know where like you're talking about these 
upper levels, are they better in inverted commas? Are they more valid or is it yeah. just another it's just another valid way of knowing or is it another actually arrow to the quiver. Yeah, yeah. I I I personally lean to thinking of it as a hierarchy and that it's higher ways of knowing because it's higher um it may be you may think about it as higher forms of truth. And so that I may be wrong about that. I'm I'm happy to be convinced mm. that I'm wrong about that. But it would be sort of like yeah. I do think I do think that it is a more profound truth that God loves me than that the chair held me up today. Now the chair did, did yeah. it's still truth, but there's it's mm. it's almost like there's a there's a greater depth to this. And so even to when we talk about rational versus mystical, uh, mystical doesn't mean airy fairy. It means mystery. I'm I I am accessing mysteries that can't be known in other ways. And when I access mm. that, I'm having a mystical experience of of. And what are these mysteries? The mystery is like. Let's leave God out of it for a, a, a moment. But this would be part of the forms of God. It, it's like when you just think about beauty, breathtaking beauty. Um, and 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 I, d but I I do like how you bring them both to how you've just brought both together in a sense. So imagine this: imagine a rationalist and a mystic going for a walk on the beach at sunset. That, um, in in one way, the the rationalist or the scientist, you know knows things that the mystic may not know about how hot the, the sun is and how large the sun is and how far it is away and what it consists of. Meanwhile, the, the mystic is sitting there like captivated in the beauty of it. But you, um, and I want to say that they should go for a walk together and, and, and that they live together in me and that in fact um, the scientists I know are captivated by beauty and that's why they do it, right? So... Um, uh, so right. I I, th I think it's fair to say let's um, that it to the degree that I've espoused a dualism in this let's back off from that now and just say everything belongs and um, I mm. purposely you know in the morning when when I wake up before I go to bed I, I flip through the headlines and I always check the science section because I love having my mind blown and it's the scientists who are doing mm. it right now so good for them right you're saying that there's Things like I want. I want to kind of pull this out. There are things that can't be known by logic, reason, and rationality. Those tools of empirical knowledge—they have their limitations—and rational knowledge. There's things yeah. that can't be known, and so rather than doing, say, what uh, like a—is it a materialist or a someone who just operates on pure logic and reason, at least in that on that story level, mm. you're saying you're going into what can't be known through that and going, well, I can still know in other ways and I'm going to keep pursuing. Use the rational and empirical ways of knowing where I can, but for these other things, they're actually you like not helpful tools. Yeah. You know, you've got... You've you've got a spanner and your screwdriver is no longer working for this, but you're like, well, I'll just use a, a spanner now, a different yeah. tool to know this this thing. So I think you've exactly hit it in terms of material scientific materialism. It came mm. about in two steps. So first of all, Immanuel Kant said, aside from empirical and rational knowledge, you can't know it. 
you can have faith, but mm. it's not knowledge. Then Wrong. the next step in the Enlightenment was, or at least the rationalist wing of the Enlightenment, was if you can't know it, it doesn't even exist. So at least with Kant, mm. he said, well, yeah, there's still a God, you just can't know him. Or you can't know that there's a God. <laughs> you, you can know him by faith, but that's not really knowing. So he's excluding yeah. knowledge until the, in, until, the, um, until the Enlightenment thinkers not only excluded knowledge, but they excluded the reality of that. And, and um, so some people tried in the Enlightenment tried to retrieve it. We call them the Romantics. That's the, another wing of the Enlightenment, right? But really, it, the, the thing is to go all the way back to the ancients and say, Plato was not a rationalist. He was, he was a mystic, which meant... He knew there were higher ways of knowing, and it was the, the early church picks up on this noetic knowing, the knowing of the noose. And, and, um, hmm. and so uh, it's weird to me, though, that you get within evangelicalism became a branch of, of the Enlightenment. It was co-opted by Enlightenment rationalism, where there's like... So just quickly yep. summarize Enlightenment... Uh, yeah. philosophies that came yeah. through and and you're now talking about where we want to go next which yeah. is like modern, modern christianity, christianity and yeah. modern protestantism we see today has has this enlightenment and what is it and it was has it been co-opted for yeah. an, this type of protestantism how is what you've talking about now linking to modern christianity with enlightenment okay so like let's say um the, the the most crass version was was just the cessationists, where um, mir miracles might have happened in the Bible, but they can't happen now. Um, he, God doesn't speak today. God doesn't move today. God doesn't heal today, God, and, and all of that. And then they went about doing evangelism, trying to use apologetics. In other words, we're going to... They, they, they didn't understand that the evangelism is about sharing good news to someone's heart, it's not just convincing them in their head. So that would be an example of how evangelicalism is, is a, it's a Christian branch of the Enlightenment in that sense. So the, mm -hmm. the Enlightenment, uh, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but the Enlightenment sounds like a way of thinking that's come about that says if it, if it is not within the parameters of empirical or yeah, rational knowing, reason, therefore yeah. it doesn't exist. And you're saying that... Um, was it Plato him, himself didn't think like that. Correct. Mm. Yeah. And I, I want to say this. This kind of goes back to something earlier in the discussion. I don't believe that the Enlightenment really came about because people became m more rationalistic or, empir empir or looked for empirical proof. I don't think that's actually what was going on. You know what was going on was um, the earthquake in Lisbon in the 1700s, um, there was this huge earthquake on All Saints Day when everyone was worshipping in six cathedrals in Portugal. And the cathedrals came crashing down on everyone's heads and killed them. The survivors yeah. rushed out into the city and the city began burning. And then to escape the, the burning, they ran down to the beach and 30 minutes later, the tsunami hit and wiped them out. Um, every kind of... It, it rattled Europe so badly that everyone yeah. had to have an answer. Yeah. Everyone had to say, what the yeah. heck happened? And it was, 
it's really Voltaire who ends up writing this scathing um, poem about if God was behind this, what kind of God is that? You have to see the bodies of the women and children that were stacked up in Lisbon. Over 100,000 people died in that all the way along the coast of Spain and down into Morocco. And so so they might, they, they try to get, they try to um, find their salvation in empirical knowledge and rationalism and scientific materialism. But it was really what's going on. It was this massive grief about the problem of suffering and pain and the, the image of God they had up to that point that he causes all things and that he's the agent of them and it's all his plan. Well, in light mm. of the Lisbon earthquake, that would make him a monster. And Voltaire saw that. And he, I think, yeah. in a sense, he ultimately abandons faith. But it is an enlightenment. They had a false image of God that was shattered by that that tragedy. Right. Um, but the yeah. problem that is God some of them never recovered from it. Interventionist type of God. Yeah. And and so what did the preachers do? Oh, the preachers are like, well, this was God's judgment. Well, they just made it even worse then, right? So they're still hanging yeah, on yeah. to this superstitious kind of, the, the you know, the God, that God sends every earthquake and every tsunami and every disease and plague. And it's like, um, yeah. no, we got to wake up. Sometimes germs happen. And, and so yeah, I think Richard, Richard Raw sort of talks about that being more of like a pagan God. It's like a pagan understanding yep. of God. Yep. But rooted in Christianity, yeah. And so evangelicalism and probably a lot of modern Protestantism, you're saying, has been heavily influenced by this enlightenment, this this categorization that says if it's outside logic and reason, then it doesn't exist. And so d- did evangelicalism then say, well, now we need to make God fit within the box of logic and reason and then begin to have a Christianity that operated out of apologetics, which aims to use these tools of logic and reason to then justify the existence of a God. Right. And if that's the case, what does Christianity miss out on? Yeah. Yeah. What is Christianity like? Is this most of Christianity like now? Is this, well, let's say Protestantism at least. Is this most of modern Protestantism? Yeah, no, I would say, like I'm saying, that that would largely be evangelicalism. But, you know, the spirit's always moving in all these movements. So here's the thing. um, The Eastern Orthodox never lost their mystical side. Um, The Roman Catholics still had their mystical side. And then um, in the Protestant wing, then, then the spirit starts moving and you get Pentecostalism in the charismatic movement. And for all their shenanigans, they were, they knew that there's more going on than meets the eye and that, and so mm. they started connecting with the spirit and then um and then even within non-charismatic evangelicalism you had revivalism and so revivalism is mm. trying to t- is trying to connect with god beyond just the courtroom but th- so i just i just see that there were a lot of ways that um ultimately the spirit didn't leave christianity and and is willing to be found in 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 various ways, uh, mystical, revivalist, or charismatic. Um, and, and a lot of these are embarrassing because we just don't do it very well. But, you know, um, my dear evangelical mother taught me that prayer is a living connection with God, and it took, and it's never left. And that was within yeah. a Baptist yeah. church. So uh, God's bigger mm. than these problems, apparently, and he's... <laughs> mm. um, 
So even though I'm, I, in my head, I'm trying to justify my faith with Josh, Josh McDowell, in my heart, I still had, there was Jesus still in my heart. It was quite amazing. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And it ultimately led you to expose and find out your own irrationality. And rather than suppress it and push it to the side, you embraced it and listened to it and kind of followed uh, followed it to a Received deeper... Received its gifts, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good way of That's exactly it. right. I want to... I yeah. want to put bring in our atheist friends, and yeah. I'm one. I'm thinking what what they would be thinking, and I feel like what they would be hearing is the like the anecdote, how the anecdote is used to be like, yeah, but for me it works, um, and I want to find the limits of this way of knowing or or the misapplication yeah. of yeah. this way of knowing. Like there'd be many people that might use this type of faith, so to speak, the, well, you can't know it like this to maybe be like anti-science or perhaps some people are anti-vax yeah. or don't believe the science on climate change. And, and they might say, yeah, but I know, I know these things. Like I, you know, you, you got to do your own research and, and I know these things. Yeah. What would you say? Cause the, the atheists would say, if you don't have empirical science to prove what is happening, then you've got nothing to communicate w- about a common reality. Yeah, there's, with there's no waypoints for people to walk that same path. That's right, and yeah. I, I I think some people might hear it that way. Yeah. yeah. What would you say to kind of clarify some of yeah, that? Yeah, I would I would really want to push back against anti-scientism of all parts, and I would just want to say those who claim science as their ally should be reading it because the scientists are way in way over their heads into wonder and 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 they can admit we can't prove a lot of this stuff and it's we're it's just so amazing and even if they're not believing in god they are experiencing tremendous wonder and and um and uh i i bless that i think that's wonderful and um and and then i would say like so explore science more deeply so that you get to the end of science cuz scientists are getting to the end of science and that's where it gets fun and so yeah. for example mm-hmm. what's consciousness right and uh, um yeah. i don't accept i don't accept any science that has explained consciousness yet cuz they they the best scientists on, on on that topic deny that you can at this point and so like well, that's an interesting conversation. Let's be in on it, and um, and let's because because people might use exactly what you're saying to discredit science itself. So they would say, well, because science can't explain consciousness, then then let's not listen to it when it's yeah. telling us science about the catastrophe no of yeah. of our environmental. No, situation. that's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> what I'm hearing is that you you have this deep sort of desire and deep need to have this connection with God, which is your other way of knowing, what what does that look like daily for you? Because there will be people there who are listening who are like, okay, well, that's all well and good, but what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? So yeah. maybe talk us through some of the things that you experience or do and sort of put a bit of flesh on it for us. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think I'm just talking about real life all day long. You know, I get up and I, I have breakfast and I, I taste stuff, but I'm not analyzing the chemicals in the breakfast. I'm enjoying the bacon. 
That's just sheer enjoyment. Mm. <laughs> I know I love this. This is so <laughs> bad for me. I know it scientifically, but I'm gonna <laughs> yum. You know, I, and then um, and then I'm I'm talking with my friend who's the head of the department at the hospital. Who's who's they're just overwhelmed by COVID, and he's a scientist in the truest sense, but he's also in palliative care, and he's having to walk people through their last days of this life. And he has nothing mm. rational that he can, I mean, he can tell them, I, we give you this medicine to make this feel better. To you, you know, he gives them the scientific spiel, but the man has a heart for these people. And then, um, you know, I was mentioning, <laughs> um, well, and then I, I, spent, I spent an hour yesterday with a guy who blew up his life because he obeyed his impulses and he's not sure, he's hoping his marriage will survive. And so we went for a walk for an hour and just listened and to um, uh, birds at the bird sanctuary and absorbed the beauty of nature as 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 therapy for his anxiety and, and it's like um, and then you know and then I'm on this discussion with you guys around the world and we're using the wonders of science and technology to have a but there's a connection that's bigger than that with your mm. and um, and I think even your mission in terms of hearing people who are different than you and bringing them together and um, w without exclusion, there's something there that's like, it's reasonable, but it's also, I don't know, there's something bigger going on, you know? So mm. I just feel like I want to impress on people that I'm not anti-science or an or irrational, but that normal life can be can be um, pretty mysterious and require us mm. to know in all sorts of good ways. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm pick, picking up. That there's a lot of wonder. You seem yeah. Like these ideas that you're talking about just. Irrationality might not be inherently bad. We always use it as yeah. a synonym for bad. But irrationality, when embraced, is what you're saying leads you to find the beauty in that's, the human that's experience. That's the fun part. <laughs> that's the fun part. To find yeah. the irrationality at the end of science is where you... That's where it gets interesting and fun yeah. to to embrace your own irrationality and go. I don't know why this combination of colors in a sunset makes me feel this way, but that's a valid yeah. way of knowing and experiencing the world. Or even like world. His, your chair metaphor before we were talking about where science quantum science says that there's more empty space in yes. there than than physical yeah, matter. Yeah, that just breaks the brain. And it's just like, what? what is going on there? And I'm sitting on empty space. Yeah, even that's though right. <laughs> yeah. It's supporting me. I'm clearly so not. So, uh, that, that wonder is really coming out in, in your experience. Would that be pretty accurate? Yeah, uh, here's one for you. Um, unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God isn't mm. someday after you die. The kingdom of God is a way of experiencing beauty, truth, and justice in this world. And, and, and you're going to have to, that's going to require trust. See, and I, I think there is a lust for certainty among rationalists, mm. among atheists, and among evangelicals, a lust for certainty that does not let you enter that kingdom very well, um, that, that doesn't produce the, and so. And it's rational certainty, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So become like a so child. Um, that's about wonder, but it's about but it's more about what I'm getting at here is life requires trust. And cert and a lust for certainty is a is an effort to bypass trust. Hmm. I just want trust. to know for sure so I don't have to trust you. Okay, well, then my wife right. you you know should probably oh. have a, a, a a locator on my phone so she can be certain I love yeah. her by knowing where I am yeah. all day long without trust. Oh, yes. that So that that's where, what I mean. It's not oh. sufficient and it's not necessary. It And th there is a hierarchy yeah. that trust is a higher and way of knowing something. than certitude. The, the lust for rational certainty is that's an awesome example that really helped yeah. it click for me. The penny dropped is like my wife is, she's up in Newcastle working and I trust her to you know do what's best and everything like that yeah. but if i'm if my lust for rational certainty in this gets the better of me yeah. and i need to know that i'll have a tracker on her phone i'll call her every five minutes i'll check yeah. in with her friends and that will that, actually that kills the relationship kill the relationship yeah. because trust builds a relationship rational certain kills it so let's bring it to this mystical god experience yeah what we see in, say, evangelicalism is that lust for having the answers on, like, how did, Je how did Jesus die on the cross? How, how does God work? How does it function? How does sin work? How does forgiveness work? Mm. This rational certainty that, is, that we've stepped into has taken some of the access of beauty, truth, and justice that you're talking about. Does that <laughs> kind of sum it up? Yeah. So here's the big punchline. What I called the noose... Plato also called the eyes of the heart that see the light of, go of God. That's mm. And light, and, and the New Testament absolutely picks this up. Open the eyes of our heart mm. so that we would see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then, but here's the important thing is, light is a metaphor for love. Because that's the nature of God. Mm. So here is the highest form of knowing. Love. You've just described mm. it with your, mm. in your relationships. And be, being relational is yeah. our highest way of being. So, so, yeah. there's, there, so all of this stuff I that you're talking about is very experiential. Like yes. It can something, only be experienced. Yeah, you, you can only experience these things, whether that's God or ways of knowing or anything. It all comes down to experience. Would that be pretty good summary yeah and i would say love is bit love is experienced love is mm. acted upon there's action to it love is existential um love is uh and and love is super super ra it, it it's higher than rational right so um mm. so again it's it's like i really embrace reason for all its uses it's just mm. useless for the most important things which happens to be Right. Love relationship and that love itself is the highest form of knowing. And yeah. it can't be known by empirical knowledge yeah. or rational knowledge. Yeah. All right. So thanks for joining us. Yeah. And if some of these ideas have challenged you and been difficult to listen to, yeah. uh, send them to somebody. Yeah. yeah. Because if you are listening, you are hopefully enjoying the process of deepening ideas, expanding yeah. ideas, and connecting with the human people behind the ideas and finding out how they these ideas help people so yeah. uh whether you agree or disagree with brad's ideas doesn't really matter don't really care yeah <laughs> uh 
hopefully you can understand at least how his ideas have expanded his world and yeah. it empowered him to more, uh, more generosity, more, more generosity, love. more love, yeah. more inclusion. Yeah. And if you have any questions, send them through to ideasdigest at gmail.com. You can engage with us on Instagram as well in the direct messages. Brad, if you like what he's saying, yeah. he's got a course. Thanks for joining us uh, yeah. this episode. If you want to learn more, you can chat to Brad, you can chat to us. Yeah. And I guess we'll catch you in the next episode. Yeah.